Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I am pumped today to have a badass dude, and, and no pun intended, uh, I think I even say that at the beginning of this episode, Sean Riley. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of Dude Products. You guys might have seen them on Shark Tank. They got a great deal with Mark Cuban. Um, they're very tied in with you know the whole barstool sports scene. Uh, they sponsor a NASCAR. They're pretty much everywhere now, and they're taking over the toilet paper aisle. Sean's an awesome dude. Obviously, um, you know he's a uh, Chicago native as well, so we uh, we definitely got along well. And um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So uh, before we jump in, though, today's episode is brought to you guys are brought to you by Routine. Um, if you watched the last episode or a couple episodes ago, I guess, with Andrew Malott, I actually showed you guys, if you watched the YouTube video, um, what Routine is. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a product and a brand that I believe in. The product, uh, I actually use it every single day, and my wife is honestly addicted to it. So um, I can vouch for it, and I always do on this show. So what is Routine? So routine is a basically a single serve, you know, tear pack uh, that you pour into water. It's made up of half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. When we sleep, we lose about a pound to a pound and a half of water, expelling vapors, sweat, etc. This product is called Morning Routine because it's meant to be taken right when you wake up to rehydrate you, get your metabolism moving and uh, kickstart your day. Honestly, in the morning, I just tear one of the packs open, mix it with around 20 ounces of water, and you're good to go. Routine, trusted ingredients, made convenient. Check them out. If you guys want to try Morning Routine or any of their other products, uh, they have a greens superfood mix. Again, just a powder I dump in. It gets my vegetables and fruit servings for the day. It's fantastic. I take their vitamin D supplements. Uh, they also have apple cider vinegar gummies and elderberry gummies, all fantastic products, great ingredients, the whole nine yards. If you want to try them out, check them out at yourroutine.com, and that link is in the show notes if you want to just open that and click on it, and use code SHANEWHITE30 at checkout for 30% off your first order. All right, everybody, without further ado, give it up for Sean Riley. Hello, everybody. Pumped for another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I am stoked today. Got a cool dude on the podcast, no pun intended, uh, Sean Riley, the CEO, chief executive dude of Dude Products. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Shane. Thanks for having me. Excited uh, excited to be on, connect with another uh, local Chicago dude like yourself. That's right. Yeah, yeah, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, love what you guys are doing. I was pumped to get you on here. Um, do you mind giving everyone just a little background of who you are and, of course, a little background of just the brand? Yeah, for sure, man. Well, uh, I, you know, like you said, I'm a co-founder, CEO of the company. So I uh, started the company up here in Chicago with uh, three of my buddies, and uh, we were kind of doing that classic uh, startup environment of, of living in an apartment after college, 
you know, drinking beers, brainstorming ideas and, uh, and dude wipes was, uh, was a fun idea. You know, we had of, of using baby wipes around the apartment and, uh, realizing they were a lot better than toilet paper, but realizing that they were not the product we should be using and that there should be, you know, better product out there and, and better brand and everything else like that. So, um, you know, kind of kick some ideas around and, and look for some manufacturers and, you know, got, got that product, uh, loaded up in our apartment, uh, back in the day, we, 2012 is when we took, you know, delivery summer of 2012 of our first, uh, four pallets and kind of filled up the bedroom and, and took it from there. So, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, background or experience, you know, nothing related to consumer goods or e-commerce or anything like that. So just kind of, uh, you know, guys with entrepreneurial spirits who, who wanted to do something fun and wanted to do something different. And uh, that's why we kind of brought dude wipes to life and kind of been a wild, a wild ride ever since. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's it in a nutshell on, on kind of how we um, got it all going or how we came to be just, just wanted to get it done and then get it out there, you know? Yeah, no, I love it. And I've met, I've met a few of you guys and you guys all definitely have that entrepreneurial spirit. You hear it when you guys, when you talk to you guys, how pumped you are about the product you sell. Um, so it sounds like, I mean, you guys were living in Chicago, had an apartment, um, but did you guys all have other like full-time jobs when you guys kind of started kicking this idea around? Yep, for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously full-time jobs when we were kicking it around and then even full-time jobs when we received, uh, the first shipment. So, you know, from there, it was kind of like, uh, nights and weekends and lunch breaks, you know, finding some wholesalers and, and bringing, you know, cases to UPS and, and shipping them out. And so, you know, we were probably, um, doing that, uh, for, for a good six months. And then, you know, early in 2013, we, we won an innovation award in the, in the world of wipes. Um, so it was the most innovative non-woven, you know, wipe product of the year. Love so it. that gave us, uh, you know, some, some wind in our sails and then um, later on in the spring of that year, we got into an incubator um, down in Austin, Texas for, you know, early stage CPG companies. So that was when I ended up quitting my job was just to go to the incubator. And I was oh, like, nice. you know, hey, uh, hey, boss, I'm, I'm going to go to this incubator and try and get this company off the ground for real, you know, because I was only half in at that point and, uh, you know, was hoping to never be back and just figure it out. And uh yeah, kind of, kind of did, you know, slowly, but surely figured it out how to, you know, get some more revenue and get the company off the ground. And, um, you know, then that allowed, you know, the next year, another co-founder to come on the next year, another one. So we kind of, uh, started, started bringing on, you know, co-founders first and foremost, as it, as the company grew. Um, but yeah, that was what kind of forced my hand just to bite the bullet and fucking, you know, go all in. Yeah. Got it. No, that makes sense. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like that's got to be like one of the hardest things is like, when do you decide to jump? So for you, it was just like a huge contest that was going to take time and you couldn't be at your job. That That's cool though. I mean, did yeah. you, at that point, were you like, were you pretty confident that you think this could be like, you know, not just a full-time thing, but a business that you could scale? Overconfident. Okay. I love it. <laughs> that's great. That's probably what's gotten so, you so far, right? I mean, yeah. That helps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We always joke around like, you know, it was like uh we thought it was such a 
such a good idea. But then like when we started getting the product in people's hands, we saw like how much people loved it and you know, how much they joked around about dude wipes and how you pass them around to buddies and people would quickly be like, Oh, I need my dude wipes and stuff like that. So, you know, from a branding side, a product side, just how passionate we were about it. Like, um, we were very confident that this thing was going to grow and grow fast. Probably what we didn't know is all kind of the pitfalls and, and how growth can go uh, for some people. Obviously, some people it takes off like a bat out of hell, you know, and other yeah. people it step changes up and and grows year over year. So those early years were probably, you know, some of the most humbling because, you know, when you're doubling a business that's only doing a hundred grand the first year, you're not doubling a very big business, you know, and, you know, so you got to kind of get over those early years and, and learn uh, retail and, you know, channels and all that stuff on, on how to grow it. But I would definitely say like confidence in, in the idea was never an issue for us. We always thought it was going to be big. Um, and part of that was just based on how much, you know, we saw people gravitate to it even if they were just our early fans you know got it yeah no i mean that that totally makes sense i feel like a lot of stories you hear and makes sense with you guys too especially in a category where you know historically there's not a lot of disruption right so you guys are kind of coming in with a product that probably a lot of people in that category i'm sure we're like who are these guys you know what is this that they're bringing do you remember um like the first product like the first, uh, I don't know what you call it, like run or batch that you guys did when you created the first dude wipes. Do you re- remember like getting that and testing it? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, like in this in this industry, like everything that we had gotten before we got the real first dude wipes was just kind of like white boxes, and you know, so we we specified like the size of the wipe and the solution and the material and all of that, but you know, we didn't have any money to pay for her, you know, nice mock-ups and stuff like that. So like our first order that came in, you know, and you slice open the case pack and actually see the first real dude wipes. I mean, that was it, you know? So it was like, we figured out, you know, and we worked with our manufacturer, what is the minimum amount of these we can order? So that's the money that we scraped together, which was about 30 grand. Um, And yeah, so that first order was kind of the first time we got our hands on the product and, you know, a guy in a 53 foot, you know, semi truck pulled off Milwaukee Avenue. My (laughs) one partner had just moved into a condo and they had a spare bedroom. And uh, so, yeah, he winded it down that street and and we walked four pallets up to a third floor walk up and stacked up a spare bedroom. So (laughs) I remember it very vividly. It was a hot July night and uh, we were loading our first, you know, boxes of dude wipes in a spare bedroom and filled it all up. And then we kind of looked at it and said, uh, it's funny, you know, um, just the way things change. But like, we looked at that amount of product and said, how how the hell are we going to move this much product? And now, yeah, what do you say? Four pallets, pallets. pallets. yeah, yeah, four pallets, yeah. So uh, that was, uh, yeah, that that whole, you know, that whole experience is definitely very memorable. And then, you know, we did some events early on where we would just get out with with people and hand out dude wipes, whether it was like college. uh, You know, me and one of my founders went down to Illinois State and 
you know, we got a table for a hundred bucks and sat at freshman orientation and handed out wipes to incoming kids. And like, you know, we did some things, uh, with like North coast music festival. That was our first big marketing spend. You know, we spent a few grand to get a table and, and, uh, you know, all of these things that we did, they didn't really have like a return. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sure. Especially early, you know, yeah, too early. But what they did do was just that personal experiences with people kind of validate that people were like excited and stoked about it and that it was, you know, new and different and getting like emotional responses from people and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, totally makes sense, especially early on, like just getting it in the hands had to be so important. And I think for people who um, maybe don't know anything about the brand, what was like, was was a lot of the, and you kind of hit on it, but was a lot of the passion behind starting this around like there were baby wipes and it just didn't it seems strange that like those worked better but there weren't there wasn't a product or were there there are also like components to the product you guys wanted to change or like what was kind of the, the thought process there like from the zero to one of just like okay i have a baby wipe and i have toilet paper we should there should be something in the middle yeah for sure um so like the brand in itself was meant to be something different than was on the market like fun blunt humorous like would say things that you know even outside of toilet paper like brands weren't saying right like yeah so you know the idea of the brand was always to be like you know kind of the genesis of the story like this is how you know you and your buddies sit and talk around like closed doors like we don't feel like there's a brand that just talks to people and and really gets gets to the point so you know dude wipes is that brand and and then from talking about the bathroom and and you know shitting situations funny situations you know that was something that no toilet paper brand had ever done before and it's like well wait a minute like you're wiping your ass with this product and no one in the industry has ever (laughs) been able to say that you know what i mean yeah right you gotta beat around it with a a cartoon charmin bear you know what i mean like sure oh yeah it's so stale and and we just thought that that was so like ready to be different and more authentic and stuff like that so that was really like you know how do we just build something authentic and fun you know fun 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 that's like what we try and do to to connect with people and you know out the gate the thing was probably too crude and you know what i mean too so so as we grew you know we evolved the style and and, you know, you get feedback and you evolve the packaging and, and everything like that. But kind of from the get go, being a brand that actually, you know, has, um, you know, has the ability to speak the truth, you know, about yeah. what it's being used for. That's to our day to this day, still our competitive advantage. You know, we're still in a toilet paper space where everyone has to beat around the bush on what they're talking about. So yeah, yeah, that from a branding side and then from like a product side, you know, we thought that the flushable wipe space was kind of underpenetrated, which is an area, you know, it's different than baby wipes. It's different than toilet paper. You know, it's a flushable wipe. Um, And and we thought that that needed bigger product. We, you know, we thought we could make eco um, improvements to the product um, we thought we could make packaging improvements, like, you know, being the first people to ever make an individually wrapped one that could fit someone's on the go lifestyle. You know, that was our first, that was our first and only product for almost two years, you know, oh, wow. yeah. and it was just serving a super niche occasion of, 
And that was our pain point, right? We were nine to five guys in the office and, you know, drink your coffee in the morning and you take your shit at 10 a.m. And (laughs) you're using the toilet paper at the office. Like, and even if you had a pack of these wipes, you didn't want to be walking around with it, you know? And so guys, you know, at the bar and young guys, it was very like, very targeted to what we were going through at that point in our lives, that there needed to be something that could go in your wallet or go in your pocket and take care of you in all of these situations. And, you know, that product ended up being great for sampling and awareness and word of mouth, you know, cause we sold them in boxes of 30 and, you know, guys would get one, give one to their friend, um, all that kind of stuff. And then we evolved into bigger packs for at home that could truly replace the toilet paper, you know, and sit on top of the toilet and stuff like that. So, you know, that's a very simple thing that, uh, you know, took us years to actually execute, like serve the customer um, on the go and, you know, at home. It's pretty crazy. I mean, you think about the big brands that play in your space. Um, Do you have any idea why none of those guys, and I might know the answer, because maybe it's straightforward, but like why none of those big players have like ever tried to do some of the stuff you guys are doing. I'm probably, I'm assuming it's probably because they're, they've built such a massive business that they just felt like they were like impenetrable to some degree. Right. You guys, you guys have really come in and like at a totally different angle and, and added, like you said, different use occasions, different product types and totally different branding and a way of going about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, from, you know, those companies are just so big. It's just, it's not, ex- it's not easy to build a brand and, and execute a new brand, you know? Right. Um, and, and they are, you know, doing their thing with, with their customer in, in the toilet paper aisle. I would say the other, the other thing is, you know, the big CPG toilet paper companies also sell toilet paper. Um, so, you know, if, if they try and sell this better solution more it, it kind of competes with the toilet paper business a little bit. So there's kind of some bureaucracies of uh, where we don't have to worry about toilet paper, right? We don't sell it. We're not yeah. in that market. We can purely be this guy selling, you know, these better for you, you know, dude wipes in the toilet paper aisle without worrying about the bureaucracy of also selling toilet paper. Um, so I think, you know, part of it is that they're really focused on toilet paper. Got <laughs> and, it. Yeah. Uh, which that makes sense. Know, yeah. yeah. Now, um, I would have to imagine early on, you know, when you guys had, maybe when you got orders, it changed a little bit, but do you remember also like the next question next to like your first product is like the question, the, the conversation you had with like either close friends or family and you're like, Hey, I'm going to quit my day job and go build this flushable wipes company. Do you remember like, where you kind of like decided you're doing it and what the, re- like the feedback was from your, the people closest to you? I'd, I'd be so curious because this space you know, again, is it such a, it's a space that no one has, that I'm aware of has really like tried to attack from a different angle like you guys have. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think when you put something out and you actually like create something out of nothing and people start seeing that it, uh, I think that takes a lot of doubt out of like the average person's mind, call it, you know? Sure. Uh, I, I think people are more kind of, they're more in tune to question what you're doing when, when they can't like see and feel it, you know, but once people see you out there hustling and selling a product and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to go do more of this and do it all the time. 
I mean, of course, more, you know, conservative uh, people would be concerned about what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to make money or what's your health insurance going to be like stuff like that. But like, you know, I guess the way that I would always put it to people is like, you can always go back and do exactly what you were doing. So okay. like, yeah, I look at, I look at the risk of not doing it being way larger at the, than the risk of doing it. Cause really you're not risking anything, but maybe depleting your savings account a little bit and then having to go grovel back to your boss and get your old job back you yeah. know, if you were, <laughs> or get him back in your old industry or whatever, like, you know, um, you know, college would be a much bigger waste of time and money than, you know, going out and putting your, your money where your mouth is and spending 12 months to try and get a startup off the ground. Like, you know, you have, uh, so, so that's what I always would try to convey to people. Like it's a much bigger risk, you know, if you've executed something, you're in market and you need to put the time and energy to grow it, you know, it's a much bigger risk not to do that than to do it. Everyone's, of course, in different life situations where they have different obligations, mortgages or family or stuff like that, which, you know, I understand. But um, yeah, for me, I just never really computed with that kind of like, uh, what are you doing? Because I was just like, well, well, how could I not do this? Like, yeah. it's, it's got some legs. I'm going to go see if it can take off. And and if it doesn't, like, who cares? <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. How, how early on did you like, did you think about like the health insurance stuff? I think it's probably like the most common question I get from people that listen to these episodes is just like, like, how do you pay for that early on? Like some of those things that you normally would get from a career. Um, how did you guys think of that early on? Just like some of those, those simple things. Yeah. I mean, you know, w when you, when you only have one employee, you can't even get corporate health insurance. Like you need a few employees for corporate <laughs> health insurance. So I actually realized like, oh, you go to insurance.com, you buy a catastrophic coverage plan and it costs you like two, 300 bucks a month. And like, you know, it's not the greatest coverage or anything, but yeah. <laughs> you're covered if something bad happens to you. And yeah, I think health insurance is this big thing that like corporations use as this carrot to like why you should work here and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, it's a, it's a cost to get it on the open market. But if you're just one person and you're relatively young and healthy, it's literally a couple hundred bucks a month. So yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. Obviously once you grow and your corporation starts up, you want to like get some group coverage and, and make it better and stuff like that. But if you're like, you know, one or two man show and you guys just want to, you know, hit the ground running for 12 months, like just figure it's going to cost you two, 300 bucks a month go get it. Um, it's just a personal plan. You go get it on the open market and, and you're covered on anything catastrophic happening. Now, you know, if you need open heart surgery, you're still going to owe like five grand for like a deductible sure. or whatever, yeah. but you're not going to be like in debt half a million dollars. Like, I from mean, it, you know that's I mean? kind of, because that's kind of the key right there. What you just said is right. I think people get afraid. They think that's going to happen. They're going to have some crazy thing, like a heart attack and need heart surgery. And they're going to owe a million dollars in doctor bills, but that's a good point. Like, catastrophic if you could just pay a few hundred bucks and if you're running a, if you're building a business i mean not that that's necessarily cheap but at the same time it's it should hopefully not be you know detrimental i, I guess as far as like getting something off the ground you should be able to afford it hopefully right yeah i would say that like you've got to be able to afford that whether it's through the business or your own savings uh and your rent 
and uh unless you're living in your parents basement or something you don't even need to be able to afford your rent you know like yeah it's really uh few basic living things that you need to be able to afford. Obviously, health insurance is one of them, but it's it's way less complicated and less expensive just to insure yourself probably than you would think until you actually have to do it, you know? Got it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great advice for people. That's like I said, that's probably one of the most popular questions I've gotten. So I appreciate that. That's great. Yeah. Um, so when you guys started scaling, uh, what was, you know, obviously based out of Chicago, um, was launching a website like the first point of distribution you guys had or were you guys getting into stores early on what was like the beginning of like getting the dude products out into market yeah so you know we threw up like a uh i made like a squarespace website that had like some e-commerce features to it like right when we launched and uh you know some a couple people were buying it on the website and uh you know but this was in 2012 so like you know D to C and Shopify, like those things were Brand not new. what they are today. Um, and it very quickly became apparent, like this was not going to be worth anyone's time or money to fill these little boxes. And, you know, we weren't Facebook marketers and like, we just weren't set up to execute that strategy. So we ended up, um, you know, hooking up with someone who sold on Amazon. Okay started wholesaling to them. So now we're just shipping out cases and then pallets and, and then they're executing. Oh, like the people actually had like their own seller account and they were selling for yep. you guys. Oh, got it. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So that's how we got up on Amazon right away. You know, we didn't even have to figure it out for ourselves. We yeah. Had a friend who was already in a business who did that. And we said, Hey, we got this product. Can you get it up there for us? Here's your wholesale costing. And, and, you know, um, he did and and they started getting some momentum on there. So yeah, then early on for then the next couple of years, our website was just a landing page that like said, go buy on Amazon, you know, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. so we kind of got out of the D to C game for the first couple of years. Um, and then as Amazon started taking off, like we got on there ourselves and then managed the business, you know, ourselves and started to scale that. And then we got up a Shopify website. And by that point, we're in a 3PL. It's a few years into the business. So fulfilling a D2C order is not a big deal because it's just kind of happening through the 3PL. Um, and then we're really focused on growing the wholesale, you know, Amazon business um, early on. So yeah, that got was it. kind of uh, is a little bit before the kind of D2C craze and where you needed like a lot more expertise. Um, you know, than you do today to right. get that kind of off the ground. That's wild. Yeah. You guys were kind of there for the boom of, of e-commerce then. Yeah, for sure. That's wild. And, you know, we were there for the Amazon boom and we were there when toilet paper didn't care about Amazon, you know? Uh -huh. So we ended up investing in there and doubling down on there and just saying, Hey, we want to be, we want to be like one of the best brands at this retailer, you know, and then that's what ended up creating our first, you know, million dollar customer. And then that's what ended up, you know, helping us then go to retail and, and sell an actual case study before, before we had a case study to sell retail. We just, we never, we go to these meetings if we got a meeting, Sure. And, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, well, you know, nobody wanted to take a risk on it. Where's the proof point? How's this going to work? Why am I going to slot this goofy new product in the toilet paper aisle where <laughs> I don't 
have never dealt with any startups in the past hundred years, you know, like, yeah, that's like such a turnkey aisle in the past, right? <laughs> yeah. Get lost guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, that makes sense. I know. I, I, I tell, we've talked about the story a couple times on here. Just, I think, um, that's not a well-known thing. Like RX did that same thing too, or build it, built the D2C business, built the B2B business. And then that unlocked a case study and then conversations in retail. And that seems to be a fantastic way to go about it, uh, especially in the, in these spaces that we play in with consumer products. Um, yeah. Speaking of at the end of the day, oh, you're, sorry, you're at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's a case study, but it's a proof point that consumers like your product. Yeah. And really, if, if I'm a retail buyer, that's all I need to care about. You know, will consumers like this product? And when an eager early entrepreneur like me goes in there without that proof, like I can be as enthusiastic and, and everything I want. You know what I mean? Right. But at the end of the day, you know, and that's what I ended up like learning is like, you know, but the, but when you can actually start showing thousands of reviews, repeat customers you know what I mean? Um, revenue, stuff like that. Then, you know, not only can you pitch the brand and the enthusiasm, but, but you have the proof point of why they should take a flyer on you. So you can also prove that their consumer, you know, likes your product. Yeah. Right. And I would think, uh, after 2020, some of that's really flip flopped in, in regards to if you're doing well on Amazon or just e-commerce in general. I mean, I, I think that opens a lot of doors just right away for retail and retail is trying to, it seems like a lot of retailers today are trying to get on the brands that are exploding online and getting them in stores too. So it probably today, if you did, if you guys had to do it all over again and you were, you know, huge on Amazon and not in retail, even today, it's probably even a, not, not, not necessarily an easy sell, but um, maybe an easier meeting setup than it would have been even 10 years ago. Yeah, for sure. Has um, for 2020, one of the questions I did want to ask you, um, speaking of Amazon and e-commerce was for like, I would say like 50, 50, it's been interesting talking to different founders on here on um, how COVID impacted their brand for you guys. I'm assuming, and what I've read, I've, I've seen a little bit of, I mean, COVID was an explosive year for you guys, right? Because of everyone, like the toilet paper boom and doing well on e-commerce I'm, and I'm speaking for you, but my question was, 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 was 2020, Safe a huge assumptions. Year? Yeah. <laughs> was 2020, uh, you know, a huge year for you guys because of, you know, really the market conditions too, that help. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you know, we were rolling into 2020 with a, a really nice growth plan, you know, excuse skew count expanding in key retailers like Walmart and Target and Kroger and Amazon and, um, you know, innovation, you know, hitting the market in a full first full year, like our dude wipes mint chill was starting to pick up some steam and stuff. So we had like this great growth plan year ahead of us. Um, but then when COVID hit, like it just wiped out all of our inventory uh, um, yeah. in a good way, like just like, boom, immediately you're out of inventory. Yeah, I'm because I'm sure people even that didn't know you guys grabbed it when they were, it might have been, you know, they're just trying to grab anything, right? Yep. Yeah, they're just trying to grab anything. You know, toilet paper was out of stock. So people were looking for new solutions, yeah. you know, so a lot of people who hadn't even realized like they might like a dude wipe, you know, now tried one because they didn't have a, a toilet paper option. So, you know, that initial shock kind of hits our system, but you know, making things here in the USA, 
we're able to, you know, keep our manufacturing never stopped. So, you know, we just, as, as soon as we would receive it, we would sell it. As soon as we would receive it, we would sell it. And, and oh, that wow. was to all of our customers, you know, whether it was a Meyer or a Target or a Kroger or an Amazon, you know, um, we, we, we made sure anybody who, you know, had dude wipes in their toilet paper aisle, like continued to get a supply. So we, we spread out all the inventory. We, sh- we made the manufacturing much more lean and just started manufacturing fewer SKUs. So wow. we actually had to discontinue our like new hot rising mint chill for a minute because it was mostly only online and we needed to make sure we served like the customer and, and our customers in the most robust way. So, you know, we were really able to, to quickly turn over inventory, get it out onto the market, you know, whether it was on shelf or online and kind of, you know, take advantage of a lot of that growth. And um, so then, you know, later on in the year when we're actually able to catch up and, you know, realizing what are the the new normals for this, you know, category, we just have kind of found in some channels, um, the, the new trial and the new customers, there's just more business in this business. You know oh, what I mean? Okay. Like, yeah. because let's say, 18% of the country pre COVID was using flushable wipes instead of toilet paper, you know, well now it's 25 and you know what I mean? So there's this new retention and, and loyalty within the category, you know, that we've been really, you know, able to capitalize cause we're, you know, a native brand of the category and, and, you know, kind of synonymous with the category. So we've been able to grow right, right along with it and push the growth in it. Um, as well. So I would say kind of, uh, you know, the most surprising thing to me is, you know, March just wrapped up and we're up on Amazon year over year. Oh, wow. Which, you know, everyone said that happened. No. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, you know, so does that mean, yeah, is that like a mix of, did you run out of inventory last year, but probably more so just so many new customers that you guys brought into the fold? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many new customers, we probably didn't really run out until April and, you know, and we were able to always send stuff in, but like, it's just like, just like the shelves, the e-commerce was just going in and out of stock, you know, see some up, then they'd be gone, you know? Um, But yeah, I mean, obviously if we never would have ran out of stock, like just like toilet paper, like there was kind of endless demand, but, but obviously that's why there was endless demand because there was limited supply. Um, so yeah, but, but definitely, you know, very, very cool to see kind of the loyalty and retention and into people who discovered us last year, you know, that are continuing to to stick with the brand, uh, this year. Definitely. Yeah. Did you, I feel like I didn't, and honestly, I mean, I'm trying to think back, there was just so much on the internet. Did you guys try to ride that wave at all? of just trying to get people to try it. You're like, Hey, you know, don't use the toilet paper during the pandemic. Use, you know, use dude wipes. Is there any of that that you guys were able to just, you know, people I'm sure because, you know, found you guys because maybe they're looking for toilet paper and, and like, oh, I'll try this product instead. But were there also a lot of people that it was like a learning, it was like a time where people were actually talking and thinking about toilet paper on the internet a lot? Yeah, yeah, obviously toilet paper was a hot topic and, you yeah. know, we were able to, you know, I mean, we didn't advertise a ton yeah, because sure. uh, we didn't need to. But, um, you know, we still put that message out there. We still kept our 
you know, a lot of our key like media commitments, you know, that we had. So whether it was like a bar stool or podcasts yeah. and stuff like that and and continue to get our message out there, you know, yeah, that this was a better solution to toilet paper and it and and you don't need toilet paper if you can't find it, you know, just get yourself some dude wipes and stock up on them and stuff like that. So right. uh and that's a message we, you know, continue to run um to this day. So yeah, that's that's definitely how we kind of message it out there and, and something we believe uh, you know, is a better solution. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Um Two of the things that, I mean, have popped out to me recently, and I don't know if it's just I've been, you know, paying more attention or what, but like, like the, how have things like um, partnerships with like Barstool, for example, and um, recently saw you guys are going to be sponsoring six NASCAR races this year on a car. I mean, like huge opportunities as far as like visibility goes. Um, What have those two types of things like really done for the brand so far? I mean, I think when I look at it, obviously, you know, I'm a finance guy and you know that, you know, I'm like, man, it's got to cost a lot of money. Like I was watching the, uh, the barstool betting last weekend in Michigan and like all your guys' products are sitting in front of all of them. I'm like, it's such great marketing, but just curious, like it just seems so on brand, like both of those two avenues, uh, for marketing your product, just curious on like the opera, how you guys got the opportunity or like what the, what you guys were thinking as far as like, you know, putting dude wipes in those positions. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of it is just what we've learned since the early days, like who likes our product, who digs the brand, like where it resonates. So like in the early days, it was like the fishing crowd oh, and, okay. and they loved the dude wipes and, and they were outdoors. Honestly, they had a more usage occasion for them than an urban guy. Yeah, true. They're like in the woods and you know what I mean? And that, that was something we didn't think of. So, you know, we aligned ourselves early on with uh, like a real charismatic fisherman who we sponsored, who we're still with to this day named Gerald Swindle and like, you know, sponsored his boat and got, you know, wipes at, at the tournaments and stuff like that. And then, you know, Barstool, you know, we did something with them in like 2014 where, you know, oh, wow. Big Cat wrote a blog about us when like they still we're in Chicago and we PayPal them oh, wow. <laughs> and he wrote a blog, you know? So like, that's, uh, you know, that, and then the next year, you know, we, we did a little bit more with them. And then the next year, we, you know, they're getting more corporate and we're doing larger deals with them and stuff like that. And like, you know, when you, when you have a crowd that is resonating with your brand, like you, you want to keep growing with them. And in, in my opinion, I think a lot of people try and bounce around, you know, too much and, and go after the next guy. And, and we're just still with a lot of our people that we were with, you know, six years ago um, and just growing with them as we grow. And, you know, impressions are impressions, right? You're going to find a market value for your impressions. Yeah. That is, that is comparable. Um, this is outside of performance marketing. You know, this is all the brand marketing, the fun stuff, the stuff people like to talk about. Right. Yeah. You know, so, so then, as we grow, we can de- do a deal with a professional golfer and Jason Duffner. And, you know, he's on our, we're on his sleeve every tournament. He's wearing the hat and like, you know, that's another avenue. We thought, Hey, these, these are our guys. These are people who are buying our product. And of course you get some consumer insight there, you know, and, and NASCAR, we got into a few years ago and it's, 
and it's a fun space where we believe, you know, people are really community driven. And, and we think a lot of them shop at Walmart, where's where we sell a lot of product. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of like finding the right deals that, that fit your brand and continuing to stay with those people who you find like vibe with it and, and growing with them. And so obviously, you know, barstools continue to grow year over year with how many people, you know, are into them and we continue to grow with them and, and get in front of that audience. And I think like, you know, you realize when you're in this business, like you also have to remind people who you are just as much as you have to sell them, you know? Okay. And if you, if you spend years and years, you know, catering to certain audiences, it's, uh, it's, it's arrogant and naive to think if you bounce on that audience, they're going to still give a shit about you. Like, you know, sure. part of marketing is reminding people that you're there and that they should come pick you up and, you know, what is the new fun stuff you're doing? And so, yeah, it, it, it's a lot about that, the people we're going after and, and then just aligning ourselves with, you know, like Jason Duffner's like, a, he's a guy's guy, you know, yeah. he's, he's not like, you know, so, so he kind of vibes with the brand and just finding areas where, you know, it makes sense to get in front of and, and always experimenting, you know, um, and then figuring out how to grow it once you feel like you, you kind of got a winner. No, hats off to you guys. I, I've thought that, I mean, you guys are one of the like handful of brands I always think of that just, you always, you guys always find avenues that just resonate super well with the type of people I imagine are your customers. You know, I, I just see you guys pop up in places and that's always in the back of my head when I know a brand's doing a great job. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. Like the barstool example, I'm like, duh. Like these guys are yeah. perfect for this. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it's like go puff and dude wise. I'm like, that's, that's perfect. Uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Shout out go puff. One yeah, of customers. There we go. There we go. <laughs> nice plug. Um, so yeah, no, that's really cool. I had to ask that. Cause I was, I thought that was a, it's a cool way you guys have definitely been marketing recently. Um, one question I, I always got to ask founders is, you know, um, the question around bootstrapping versus raising capital. Uh, obviously, I know you guys went on Shark Tank and got a deal with Mark Cuban. So you've definitely raised some capital. But as a, you know, a CEO, as a founder, what have what have kind of been in the back of your head, kind of the thoughts around, you know, you guys trying to bootstrap this versus raise capital over time? And has there been like a, a macro strategy that you like to share with people? Yeah, I would say I have macro learnings from it because I fucking tried everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, in the early days, we were trying to raise money so we could take a nice swing at this idea, okay. you know, with half a million dollars uh, and, and, you know, get it off the ground, you know, do things the right way, right? Like, yeah. you know, be able to have a few of us be full-time employees, be able to have the marketing budget, blah, blah, blah. And none of that worked. Like, you know, we were only making like a hundred grand, 200 grand a year, those first couple years. And so nobody wanted to take a flyer on the idea, whether it was like a big, you know, Hyde Park Angels or, you know, a Texas family. I mean, like, you name it, they said no. Huh. So, you know, then we were left with, okay, like, how do we get the company off the ground, bootstrapping it? And, you know, that's when you kind of learn, you know, that every dollar matters and, and where to invest it and then where we were seeing, you know, performance on marketing, like a lot of dollars went into there. And then to build the brand, we ended up 
bootstrapping brand awareness marketing by like going viral for free or going viral for very cheap by like getting creative, you know? So like we sponsored a UFC fighters, butt Tyron Woodley in 2014 (laughs) and it was a pay-per-view event and it was, you know, it was a big spend for us, but not a big spend in reality cost us like 10 grand, I think. Um, Wow. And so we're, we're sponsoring this athlete for his big fight and, and then he gets, you know, in the ring and, and Twitter goes wild. Dude wipes is on this guy's bought. Like yeah, how funny is perfect, that? Right. <laughs> we're the number three trend worldwide on Twitter that night. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Which is crazy. You know, that hasn't happened to us since. Yeah. You I mean, know what I mean? Did like, that, did that correlate to sales that night too? Well, you know, it's hard to tell because we weren't selling direct. Oh yeah. But, okay. uh, right. You know, yeah, it did. Right. People went on Amazon. They bought us like we're still synonymous with the UFC and, and now UFC partially, we think because of us, like, don't let you do that. Like, yeah. you know, on the butt stuff, but we're still very strategic with MMA, MMA and fighting. And we're in these other leagues and, you know, sponsor the fighters in other ways. And, and now we're sponsoring, um, Ben Askren next Saturday who's nice. fighting Jake Paul, oh, you know, yeah. in that big fight and dude wipes is going to be on his ass. So like, it's so just another example how we kind of stuck with that niche, but like, you know, finding ways to just put the brand out there, send samples around, like when we didn't have a budget. So yeah, for, for better or for worse, you know, we had to learn really like efficient marketing, you know, early on um, because we didn't have any money but now we do this kind of news jacking and, you know, viral marketing is a key strategy that we do, to, you know, to this day and um, countless examples of when it happened. Like, uh, you know, then the next year, Rob Deirdrick and Big Black do an entire segment on dude wipes on the Fantasy Factory. And that was all because we sent them a package and a handwritten note telling them we're big fans. Here's some product you know, big black starts posting about us on social media a little bit. A few months later, MTV producers call us, be like, Hey, these guys want to do a funny segment for about you guys on the show. Oh, wow. And it was free. You know, all we had to do was sign off that we were okay for them to use our name in any way that they teamed. Oh, it was, uh, yeah. It was like approach, wild, just wild like West for them. Wild West, you know, <laughs> of course. Sure. You know, so then, you know, we're on, you know, national TV on a, funny tv show you know for free and and then we get on you know shark tank um and that's a you know a massive moment you know for your brand super bowl commercial kind of style thing um where you're you know forever embedded in in the american lexicon you know once you're on that show especially when you have like a fun successful kind of classic episode you know like we had, I was going to say you guys, not to cut you off. I, I re- I've watched a ton of those episodes. You guys are probably one of the best when it came to like buttoning up and running the numbers that I've ever seen. I felt like you guys just knew your shit. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and they, uh, I, they even edited out some things where we were pushing harder, you know, on the valuation and stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, we tried to go in there knowing what we were doing. We were not a big company yet. Like, you know, we stood in front of the sharks um and we were only 300 grand year to date um and it was halfway through the year but we were telling them we were going to do 1.5 million that year and that's because we had our first big 
uh, toilet paper rollout coming, which was at Kroger. That's right. And, you know, that was all hitting. And then, you know, that got them excited. So then it was a debate on how much are these guys really worth? But yeah, I mean, man, we're a small company standing in front of those guys, 300 grand, you know, year to date for yeah, 25%, Um, right? Well, that's what the deal was. Yeah. Sorry. Same thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. So then, yeah, we do a deal, um, you know, with Mark and, and that, uh, was, was some much needed capital at the time because we were trying to cash flow this inventory build up, you know, for a Kroger and we did not have, you know, lines of credit at the time, you know, yeah, like sure. after we booked a million dollar year, we were able to work with the banks and you know what I mean? Like grow yeah. the line of credit. Um, but until before until then, you know, we were just barely getting by. We were using that company called cabbage with a K like doing, you know, um, term loans and stuff like that oh, yeah, by inventory yeah. and just scraping by. Um, but yeah, Mark, uh, Mark does the deal. And, and then, you know, from after that standpoint, we're able to still be lean cash flow, get over the hump of rolling out a major retailer and, and, and rolling out some more. And then from there, we just, you know, scale up with the banks and, and really push them for better lines of credit. So, you know, besides a seed round, you know, from Mark, um, you know, we haven't raised any capital, you know, since wow. then and been able to kind of, you know, scale exponentially, you know, year over year. I'm sure the other sharks are kicking themselves on that deal now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Especially that, uh, prick, Mr. Wonderful. He's That's... trying to beat us up over, uh, two and a half percent. Well, you know, two and a half percent on one of the most successful shark tank companies to date, uh, turned out to not be worth it. I would say so. I would have to agree <laughs> with you. Yeah. I was going to say, well, that's, that's really cool. I, I mean, like him though. Yeah. He's a prick, but I like him. I like his shtick. <laughs> Isn't but that the balance that sucks? Shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like the Simon Cowell. Like you need that for good TV. You know what I mean? hundred like, percent. Yeah. That's so funny. Was that a, was that a, I mean, I'm sure that was a cool experience. Was that something that like you would suggest to anyone who has the opportunity, I'm assuming? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was definitely always kind of a a goal of mine, you know, to do it. So kept on pushing on those producers until, you know, we got through and, and got our moment, but yeah, you definitely want to give yourself an opportunity um, to do it if you can. Obviously the shows, you know, Maybe not as popular as it used to be, but um, still, you know, a massive opportunity, you know, for you as a brand to, to get in front of that many people and, and showcase your product and uh, and be able to solicit investment, you know, from uh, from the sharks is, you know, I, I think a lot of people worry about should they do it or should they not? It's like, you know, they get 50,000 applications a year and like, you know, get like 80 companies like it's like insanely hard to do um to get past that point so it's just like just get there right yeah <laughs> if you actually and, and then worry about it you know later how you want to position yourself but like if you can actually get on the show and get past all of that like you owe it to yourself to take that shot and put your brand on national television you know which is worth tens of millions of dollars um yeah. easily you know for sure oh yeah just the audience alone um yeah. I know we're running out of time. So I had, I had a couple important questions I really want to ask you. I think that'll be really interesting for you knowing. Yeah. And I got a couple more minutes. I was, oh, you do? I was five, okay. I was five minutes late on you. So, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to make you five minutes late for your next thing. I know it's Friday. Um, yeah. 
the uh a beer the, that's my next thing i was so. gonna say we're here we're, hey, it's almost this it's, is a it's joe happy rogan hour. sort of show maybe i'll just go grab one I was, <laughs> hey man as i say i need to grab some stuff we'll get this we'll just keep this rolling right um I no, have I love my it. elon moment uh hey there we go i need one of those i need an elon moment on my podcast <laughs> it'd be perfect that'd be perfect on brand love it um so for you i mean i guess that's one thing i didn't know um knowing that you know you guys were able to take just one round of investment obviously from a, a an awesome investor that's a pretty cool cool person to have in the investor pool um for you guys then after that the did things kind of change at all as far as like moving to like, I feel like a lot of companies that go into shark tank or just in general at that stage where they're trying to get funding, they get a huge, they get a huge, you know, investment. Then they start kind of not being forced, but pushed to really push for top line sales. It's like top line sales. You got to show growth. You have investors now. Was it, was it for you guys, was it a little more like profit driven? Like, it seems like you guys have been profit driven too, which has then helped fuel you you're able to like invest in other areas and grow top line in return. So it's always like, I always have the question of just like, once you got some funding, where did top line versus profit or was it all still important? Yeah. So, you know, profit is, is, and was always important because, you know, when you're growing with your own um, lines of credit from the banks, like you just, you have to maintain profitability in order to keep, that kind of flywheel going. So it was always an, an important part of our business and, and still is to this day. Um, you know, the top line growth, like, you know, uh, Mark doesn't, doesn't push his companies, you know, for that. He, he, you know, likes uh, a profitable company too. And, and he understands that these are investments he's making in early stage companies where, you know, he, he wants to give them four or five years to basically, you know, fail or make it to the next level, you know, because yeah. a lot of them just fail. But, um, you know, Mark Cuban is worth a lot of money. So, you know, his investments on Shark Tank, while he cares about that money, he's making a lot of different bets. Yeah. And and so he wants the right things to play out. And, and he knows that at the end of the day, the right things that the customer likes and the right teams are, are going to grow things. So, you know, that's not really his MO to push for that, you know, top line growth. He wants to push for you know, the biggest thing he wants to push for is sell through. So like, ah. if you guys are getting into somewhere, just focus on that working and selling through in that customer before you move on to other customers. So that's the biggest thing, that's you know, advice. Cuban had beat into our heads was don't drown in opportunity. You know, you're this eager early entrepreneur. You're worried more about top line growth than he is. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're just like, how can we sell dude wipes here? Who can we go to there? Like we got to grow, 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 you know, the sky yeah. is falling kind of stuff. And Mark's like, slow down. You just landed this good new customer executing that customer, wow. make that a win grow more sell through. Cause that's the end of the day. Like that's how you build companies, you know, that aren't built on sand. Like yeah. anybody can raise a bunch of money and pump money into Facebook and show a bunch of top line growth and stuff. But like good companies, you know, have foundation down to the bedrock. And that includes like customers with good retention that are profitable, that are loyal and, and growing the white right way and stacking them you know, on top of each other, you know, year after year. So, 
you know, Mark understands that that is what a good company is, you know, so he doesn't want to push you into that direction of just, you know, grow, 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 give me my return, you asshole, yeah. you know, right, right, but right. you mill, you, you may, you know, tons of investors out there like that, you know, um, who maybe don't understand business and they just understand money and they're part of some fund and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, a guy like Mark gets it on like a deeper level like that, you know? Right. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Cause I I've seen that with brands too, where yeah, you're on a, you're on a hot streak. So you just want to get every door you possibly can. And to your point, it's like being on sand, you know, if you don't focus on scaling each one, um, that can be really important. Right. Right. Sell through, not sell in. Like if you get, it's harder to get it off the shelf than $3 on the shelf billion dollar right? PO from somebody. The, the big thing is that they reorder because yeah. we've had a big, big customer where it didn't quite work out and it's expensive. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. um, so you got to figure out what works and what doesn't and, and not be too bullish on that first PO, you know, go be high five and, and go off for dinner when you get that second big PO. You That's know a good what I mean? way to like, think about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, I was, I think I've said it on another episode, uh, you know, it's harder to sell it or get it off the shelf than on sometimes. Right. And that's the most important for part. Sure. No, yeah. that's, that's a great point, Shane. Yeah. Um, so you guys, I mean, you guys have been in business for a while. We've talked about lots of fun stuff today. That's been, I think a really cool part of your guys' journey. What is, if you think back, um, over the last 10 years, what has been like the biggest hurdle that you guys have faced that like, for a moment, maybe you're like, shit, did we screw this up? Or do we need, you know, we have to pivot or like, was there one, has there been one big major thing that's happened that's kind of scared you as being the CEO of this company? You know, I think uh, part of being an entrepreneur is like, you got to have like that blind faith and that positive mental attitude. Yeah. So, you know, not that you don't get uh, scared every once in a while, but you got to have that attitude you, that you're always going to figure it out because that's how, you know, you, you made it from out of the basement, you know, doing right. absolutely nothing to the next level. Like, you know, those are, those are the scarier times, you know, to me, like, um, you know, just is, is this going to work? You know, mm -hmm. when you're, when you're so early on and figuring out if the customers like your product and, and if you can scale it, you know, so I would say those, those first early years for me are, are the scariest times like now something bad, you know, can happen or customer doesn't go right. Or, you know, you take a hit on this or that, but like, you know, once, once you've kind of gotten some proof points, you know, you, you definitely feel, um, you feel optimistic on the future. And, and, and when you're running a company, you know, that, like you said, doesn't have like a $20 million investment in it and you better hit this top line, like you afford yourself, like that kind of mindset, like, let's just find the places that work. Let's grow the right way. You're not trying to meet some external demand that doesn't make any sense. You know what I yeah, mean? But yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say if anything, you know, on a macro point, like, you know, your first customer that doesn't work and you need to like get product back and, you know, you start incurring what that looks like in retail, like that's definitely a moment that you got to figure out, but you know, don't do that too early because mm -hmm. then that will be a moment that could ruin you. Okay. So, you know, yeah. um, as people say, grow on e-commerce, give that nice proof point. Then when you start rolling into retail, make it a hundred stores here, you know, understand that this retailer works and then go after more of them, you know, 
don't uh, don't sign a deal with Walmart when you only got half a million dollars in sales because if it doesn't work out, you know that may put you out of business. So right, um, good advice. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Love that. That's actually fantastic advice. I think most people would jump all over that that haven't been through that before. So great takeaway. Um, so for you guys too, I mean, you've been in business for a while. You guys have become a behemoth in my mind and from what I see from my lens. Um, long-term, do you envision this being, for lack of better terms, could you be this be like your family business where like you want to run this for the rest of your life? Do you ever see an exit? Like what do you think like way down the road it looks like for you? Um, at dude products. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, that's funny because we, we always say like, you got to build the company, like you're going to own it for the rest of your life because that will make sure you're building it like the right way. You know, um, you know, you get to certain inflection points, you know, especially if you're, you know, trying to make pushes heavy international, or if you really need, you know, to take it to that next level from a capital or manufacturing standpoint where, you know, we've always said, yeah, there is, there is deals out there that would make sense to partner with someone and help, you know, bring the brand to the next level. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we run the company, you know, profitable and, and like, we're going to be running it for a long time and we reinvest in our systems and you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Technology yeah. and automation and, you know, how can we find operational efficiencies when we bring on sharp guys like Greg, you know, yeah, right. um, who understand shout out how to Greg. we can, yeah, shout out to Greg, <laughs> uh, you know, how can we improve the bottom line? So, you know, at some point, uh, of course, uh, you know, we're not, uh, going to be, you know, shooing anyone away who wants to have a conversation with us, but, uh, at the same time, you know, try and execute, um, you know, in a way that, uh, that doesn't involve that. Cause otherwise, if that's all you cared about, you would be running a business that makes, you know, a few dollars in profit right. and you'd be pushing as much money in marketing and trying to show this biggest top line, Hey, come get me, come get me, you know? Right. But, um, you know, that's, uh, that's not something you want to depend on. And I think, you know, Cuban also says that, you know, best, like an exit strategy is a business with an exit strategy, that's not a business plan. Like, yeah, okay, you know, sure. a business plan is, Hey, here's how we're going to do it. And, and exits happen and, and, and mergers happen and, and partnerships happen. And those are all things, you know, we're, we're of course interested in as, as, as business dudes who, you know, want to look at, at ways to grow. Um, but in particular, we're not running the company like that. Otherwise, um, you know, we would be running in a slightly different fashion. Got it. Now it makes tons of sense. Um, whenever that time does come, when, when you end up being done at dude products, what do you want to be remembered for? Not just a dude, but like in this industry. Yeah, I think we want to be remembered for, you know, doing something different and doing something fun in, in an area that, uh, hadn't been shaken up in kind of, you know, a hundred years and, and really that, you know, people without experience, can come in in these David versus Goliath battles and, and succeed. And, you know, obviously in American business history, there's, there's a lot as examples of those. And I mm-hmm. would just be humbled to be referred to as one of those, you know, yeah, Hey, look yeah. at this business dudes, you know, just a group of friends started out of their apartment, zero experience, bootstrapped it with the capital and, and took on, you know, the Goliath and, and built a new, product that you know americans expect to have in their bathrooms and that people love and 
and you know goddamn did they have a lot of fun along the way because look at all this marketing stuff they did yeah. and look at, you know the smiles they brought to people's faces and stuff well from an outside looking in lens i would say you guys are well on your way to doing that i, I definitely enjoy all the stuff you guys are doing so that's awesome i mean just flat out awesome um the last two questions I have to ask everyone these, uh, I always say book, but it could be podcast source of knowledge, whatever it is that you like to do. If you had to suggest your favorite book to all the audience listening today, what would it be? Wow. Favorite book. I I read a lot of books and, and there's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good business books, a lot of good, like mindset books and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, I I really enjoyed um, the magic of thinking big, um, and and psycho cybernetics, and those are two kind of law of attraction, um, you know, where where focus goes, energy flows, sort of things. Okay, yeah. um, that really you know teach you the basics of of having a mindset that that can create kind of exponential you know success. Obviously, you've got to learn your business and learn your p's and q's, and and a lot of people think you know the secret and Oprah and they, and they look at it from the outside. Oh, that's a bunch of bullshit or whatever. But you know, what it's really about is concentrating your action, you know, in certain areas and having the compound effect of that year over year and believing in that and, and staying focused ha- has a lot of big results. So, you know, those are things I, I always recommend to people that probably are a little more, you know, out there than, than a business uh, book recommendation. Love that. I'm like hot on that topic right now. I just finished the the compound effect and I, I knew something about oh, it. Last there you year. go. Compound yeah. effect. That's a perfect example. That, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I, I started doing it last year and this podcast, the reason this podcast is where it's at today is just same thing using those same principles. So I, I love that one. That's a great right. one because it does, it works no matter what you, what it is. I've done it with a few things now over the last, it's the first time in the, you know, I would say most of my life that I've like actually written a goal down and, and accomplished them is I, and I, truly think a lot of it's from this compound effect mentality type thing. It's just something every day that's building towards a bigger thing. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like how many of these podcasts have you done now? Uh, this is going to be your 129. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when you're just starting doing a few, it's like, yeah. Oh, this is nothing. Or, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like hundred percent listening, <laughs> who's paying attention. And then you do a few more and then you stick with that execution and that schedule. And now more and more people are listening and pretty exactly. soon you'll be on episode 500 and you'll have fucking 50,000 people listening. And like, you know, it's yeah. very easy early on. That's why I say those early times are the hardest because you're not seeing those results. And it's the same thing with the gym, you know, like those 100%. first 30 days, someone goes to the gym, they're not going to see any results. But if they do that for six months or 12 months straight, then they look in the mirror and go, holy shit, you yeah. know, like, yeah, 100%. I look a lot different because I stuck with it. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's the compound effect of those results. And, and uh, yeah, it's like Warren Buffett with investing money. I mean, that's what they kind of say in there. You just got to compare it to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. I always, and I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, no matter what it is, I've learned that um, most of the people that I've met now, especially through this podcast, um, it's not like they're doing crazy out of this world things every day. It's they're doing a couple, they're doing a couple really important things every day. And it's, it's just this compound consistent effect that's going on. Right. Yeah. I'm not that smart of a guy. I was not a uh, honor roll student or didn't graduate from a prestigious college or anything and just uh, 
started focusing on the butt wipe business year over year <laughs> and became a goddamn expert at it. Yeah. You know what I mean? A hundred percent, man. Grew it and stuck with it. And you, you know what I mean? So you, you start seeing the results and you realize that just that, yeah, where that focus goes. Uh, right. The results follow. Love it. No, I agree. Well, we'd have that in common, man. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing I wanted to ask is, you know, being a CEO, there's just, there's gotta be a million different things going on all the time. Um, what tool or tools do you use to track your goals and then do daily tasks? Are you like a pen and paper kind of guy? Do you have some sort of apps you use? Like, how do you organize your life? Yeah, I do have, uh, like a planner, you know, it's like a passion planner. Um, so yeah, I do do the, the pen and paper thing and, and, you know, do try to do the weekly thing, you know, on a Sunday and look at what the week has and just kind of sketch out some goals. But yeah, like, uh, you know, people call it like your hour of power, yeah. you know, and I'm not going to say that every week I'm able to get it done, but like when I'm able to get that done on a Sunday, spend an hour sketching out the week, uh, definitely have like a lot better results, you know, that week. Um, so yeah, just use a good old fashioned pen and paper planner, you know, to try and kind of execute that and then write some of that stuff down. Love it. I do the same thing. I use something called a, a full focus planner. And it's funny. I, uh, I, I, you always, I always think when I go to the computer and do anything on like Excel or whatever, an app, it's just, there's something about writing it down, planning it out and getting it done. So I'm yeah, with you on for that. sure, man. Awesome. Well, Sean, this has been awesome. I appreciate you taking the time. The last thing I always love to ask is just, how can people follow along with your journey? How can people get involved with dude wipes? And most importantly, where can people buy them? Yeah, sure, man. Just follow dude wipes at dude wipes on uh, Twitter and, and Instagram. That's definitely, uh, you know, where we're most active. Um, and then, yeah, dude wipes are, you know, available in, in most toilet paper aisles in the country, whether it's Target, Kroger, Walmart, you know, Jewel, Safeway, Albertsons. How many people can we plug yeah. here? I was going to uh, say, you, Am you, you, <laughs> <laughs> Amazon, if you want it quick, you know, our boys at GoPuff. Um, so yeah, yeah. We're, awesome. we're trying to be everywhere that toilet paper is available so you can get them wherever you want. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This has been fun and um, we'll talk to you soon, man, but I hope you have a great weekend and uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Shane. Awesome. Thanks, Sean.